0: I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you are in the world today, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Sir Ronald Cohen is a pioneering philanthropist. He's a venture capitalist, a private equity investor, and a social innovator who is driving forward the global impact revolution. He serves as chairman of the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment and the Portland Trust, which is a British nonprofit, quote unquote, action tank, whose mission is to promote peace and stability between Israelis and Palestinians through economic development. He has been described as the father of British venture capital, as well as the father of social investment. More recently, Sir Ronald, or Ronnie, is author of Impact, Reshaping Capitalism to Drive Real Change. And we'll talk about that book today, but first and foremost, Ronnie, welcome to The Caring Economy.
0: Thank you, Toby. Great pleasure to be here with
1: you. We always start the show by asking our guests to give us a sort of a digest of his or her, their life. So, so Toby, I
0: started life in Egypt uh, and uh, my family was kicked out of Egypt after the Suez crisis. So in 1957, we shifted to live in London. Uh, I was very lucky because I went to a state uh, school. Uh, which, though it didn't have a great academic record until then, had an inspiring teacher who coached me for the entrance exams to Oxford. And thanks to Richard Farley, I made it to Oxford. And then from Oxford, obviously, my way became a lot easier. Uh, I went to Harvard Business School. I was idealistic, I wanted to do good and to do well at the same time. I was in at, at Harvard in the mid-60s when entrepreneurship, technology, and the new venture capital industry were just emerging. Mm-hmm. And I basically entered that world and was very fortunate to, to meet Alan Patrickoff and Together, we built up what became Apex Partners, which today is a, a, a huge investor in private equity, managing over $75 billion. Mm-hmm. But when I got to the age of 53, Toby, I felt that I didn't want my epitaph to be he delivered the 30% return. <laughs> and so I decided to leave at the age of 60 and devote uh, the years left to me to making a difference in addressing social inequalities and the israeli palestinian conflict, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah. And it uh, also sounds a bit like practicing forgiveness, I guess, is the way I would think about it. If your family was exited from Egypt, your assets were still taken when, the, I think, Nasser nationalized things. You could have remained hostile toward the Arab people or toward Palestinians in when you talk about Palestine no. and Israel, but you didn't. So it sounds like you're really trying to practice what you preach. I left Egypt in difficult circumstances,
0: but with the feeling that uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims had got on very well for decades in, in Egypt, a century even. I have an affinity for Arab culture, for Arab food, and the Arab sense of humor. At the same time, I speak Hebrew, my wife is Israeli, her father was the commander of the Exodus. And so with the foot on each side, I felt I could act as a bridge and try and help resolve this
1: uh, very difficult conflict. Thanks to Alan Patrickoff, our mutual friend, who's also been a guest here on the on the carrying economy. I can imagine the two of you putting your heads together back at Harvard and thinking about some great things, which did lead to Apex. But then also great legacies above and beyond business. So let's talk a little bit about this bridge building that you've done. Tell us, t- tell us about the Portland um, Trust and h- how that came about. So twenty years ago, exactly.
0: Um, I was with my friend, uh, Sir Harry Solomon, who had been an advisor to APEX, and we talked about resolving or helping to resolve this conflict. The Irish conflict was uh, an example of uh, a similar conflict that had uh, finally been resolved. Mm -hmm. And we felt that if we addressed the economic dimension of the conflict, that would be helpful because everyone else was looking at the political and the security dimension. And the idea was that if we can help to improve the lives of Palestinians and Israelis, the Arab population of Israel, the ultra-Orthodox population of Israel, all the marginalized groups, Mm -hmm. then this would make a compromise a lot easier. And resolving conflicts involves compromise. I don't need to to tell you Mm. that. So we've been working for nearly 20 years now uh, out of offices in Tel Aviv and Ramallah, as well as London, which we opened 20 years ago. And we've done some pretty major things really on, on both sides. But there's a long way to go, and um, with this new Israeli government, the challenges are going to be even greater
1: than in the farm. Do you, do you find in your years of doing this and, and being in that part of the world that young people are more inspiring and helpful today, or they're more cynical? or People are worn out by this conflict. They really would like to
0: see the end of it. The extremists on both sides have created the perception that there isn't a partner on on their side. Most people who aspire for peace also think that it's impossible to achieve. And we have to dispel that notion because the extremists have a vested interest in in, in ensuring that living conditions are difficult um, so that the conflict can be perpetuated. They don't help improve uh, lives. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that we face now is that on the Israeli side, there are people who don't really want to improve Palestinian life? I'd say in, in recent years, uh, the Israeli government was helpful to some measures at least, Mm-hmm. Uh, that did uh, just that.
1: Do you have any advice for perhaps outside of Israel and Palestine, people who care, whether it might be the Jewish diaspora or Arab community? Do you have any suggestion, advice on ways to help be a part of the solution? If you can get involved in the work of the
0: Portland okay. Trust, right. which I chair, uh, mm-hmm. this is a very practical way to do things on the ground. We (laughs) describe ourselves as an action tank, not a think tank. So we're involving, helping to create major initiatives. Uh, Some of your listeners, and viewers may be aware of a new Palestinian town called Rawabi. We were very happy to help the entrepreneur who built that uh, town, Bashar al-Masri, help get approval from both governments to plans that uh, we helped him to put together for the city. Uh, We need to redouble our efforts now. At the same time, we see democracy uh, under attack in Israel, uh, just as it is in the United States, in Brazil and in, in several other countries. Anybody who is interested in helping Israel to overcome the onslaught of anti-democratic forces in the government now would also be welcome to reach out to me.
1: I want to hear a little bit about when you became Sir. Was it your work in venture capital or was it Portland House or a little bit of everything that you were recognized by Her Majesty the Queen? It was uh, the venture capital industry. Britain had been a very conservative
0: place. And most people thought that uh, entrepreneurs would only exist in the United States. I thought otherwise with the partnership that we established, Alan and I were able to promote venture capital in the uk first and then across europe and then asia uh, as well and it created a much more vibrant environment in in britain more innovative more uh, can do in its uh, attitudes created jobs uh, made industry more competitive and so i was rewarded by knighthood in 2001
1: and was it the Queen herself that did your investiture? It was. Uh,
0: you you kneel on a little stool and with a <laughs> sword. You have two
1: shoulders uh, and uh, your eyes uh, as a knight. Well, congratulations. It must be awesome. I've been to uh, an investiture at the British Consulate where I work, but... Uh, It was with Princess Anne. I should first ask you to maybe help our listeners who aren't familiar with, say, venture capital versus private equity. Can you just give us a a very sort of um, a very basic definition of what it is? Typically, um, when businesses are created, uh,
0: they need to raise high risk money, meaning that if the idea that is uh, being developed doesn't work, the investors lose their money. And if it works, then the investors tend to make a very attractive gain. And companies like Apple and Microsoft and uh, uh, Google and Facebook and Tesla uh, started out with venture capital. Now, it didn't exist as a proper industry until the beginning of the 70s, the end of the 60s, the beginning of the 70s, when actually Alan Patrickoff was one of the first people to raise a venture capital fund. And from these very modest beginnings, Alan's first fund was $2.5 million. The latest Apex fund was about $14 billion. From these modest beginnings, this has developed into um, more than a trillion dollar uh, industry. And then its cousin, private equity, which involved bigger businesses to grow and, 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 and profit. Is another nine trillion. So it's now a major part of economies all over the world.
1: Cryptos and the world that factors in, yes? Some of the investments
0: by venture capitalists went into the crypto world. We've just had the demise of uh, FTX, which uh, led to a company worth more than 30 billion dollars collapsing and and that company had been backed by venture capitalists. It's a very small part of total venture capital activity. Mm -hmm. A lot of venture capital today is going into health, into education, into clean energy to help reduce inequalities.
1: Perfect segue to your book. Can you tell us a little bit about impact and and what made you put it all on paper and ink
0: i i went into venture capital because i wanted to try to give everybody a chance just as i was given as a refugee in life to make money i needed to make money to look after my parents uh, to make money and enrich uh, themselves and the people around them but i realized as apex became bigger and more successful that um, the gap between rich and poor was just getting bigger and bigger. It was clear to me that this was untenable, that it would lead to social strife uh, because uh, some people felt that they were being unequally treated. And in many ways... The pushback against democracy today that we see arises because we've seen some people's standard of living stand still, while others have enriched themselves in finance and in technology in ways you couldn't conceive of. I began to think, how can I bring investment to those who want to improve lives? Uh, the British government asked me to head the task force 20 years ago And the task force concluded that it should be possible to innovate in bringing investment to tackle social issues and environmental issues, that innovation would require new financial securities, new types of funds, Mm -hmm. uh, and and, uh, they needed to be defined. But I set off to do that. And today... You see the impact investment world amounting to $2.5 trillion across the world. You see environmental, social, and governance investment of more than $40 Mm -hmm. And so the question is, where is it leading us? And that's the answer that I provide in the book. It's leading us away from companies and investors just trying to make money Mm -hmm. to both trying to do good and do well at the same time. Mm -hmm. And in order to make sure that they do that, investors and businesses, you need to measure the impacts that they create. And so I've been putting a lot of effort into impact measurements, starting with a big project at Harvard Business School, which published in dollar terms the impacts of thousands of companies. Uh, And now, I'm chairing a foundation for valuing impact. And what we're going to be doing, Toby, basically, Mm -hmm. is taking a ton of carbon, putting a price on it, and so bringing it within accounting, through impact accounting, being able to compare the profits and the
1: impacts of companies and then you have it can be audited verified and transparent in a way that we haven't had before same way that we do with profits absolutely okay. the
0: audio book is available and, and the ebook is available very very cheaply on amazon i did
1: a program at harvard business school with george seraphim and bob Eccles, and it's all about yeah. medicine as you know well bob bob is one of my great partners
0: and george is uh, uh, my closest
1: Ladies and gentlemen, again today on The Caring Economy, we have Sir Ronnie Co- Ronald Cohen, or Ronnie, as he's authorized me to say. He's the author of Impact, Reimagining Capitalism to Drive Real Change, as well as uh, a, a pioneering venture capitalist, philanthropist, and private equity investor. Uh, Ronnie, I want to ask you about detractors, though. Um you know, ESG is the fastest growing era of investments. We hear that. We see that. Some institutions, I think, perhaps an individuals less reputable might be running at it because they perceive it as the flavor of the month. But what do you say to the detractors who say, oh, it's just greenwashing 2.0? I say to them. The intention of ESG
0: is absolutely the right one. But so long as you don't have clear measurement, everybody will be able to claim what they want and nobody will be the wiser about Mm -hmm. whether or not they achieve it. We have to add impact measurement to ESG and turn it into impact investment. That's the way to get our economy, our investors Mm -hmm. and the businesses that they back to deliver solutions to the environmental and social. Problems we face.
1: Are are you seeing employees, investors, consumers engaging with brands specifically because of their commitments around ESG? Totally. I mean, the reason Tesla's been
0: successful isn't because it was putting together a better automobile with a combustion engine, it's because people were worried about the pollution (laughs) that the combustion engine causes. And so you could say that Elon must work out how to use impact to build a major company, a trillion-dollar a trillion company. Now, we're going to see this, Toby, in construction uh, industry materials, in the generation of electricity, uh, in fintech, uh, where you begin to have new platforms that enable those who are less well-off to mm-hmm. pay reasonable interest rates instead of being fleeced uh, on their overdrafts. Technology and impact coming together to create another
1: big wave of disruption. I'm with you there. Certain economies, certain industries, certain um, governments are just further along. As you look around the world, are there certain markets where impact investing is is really getting traction that might surprise us? Like Africa, are there certain countries?
0: So the, the big leader has Europe in this with the United States second, but some distance behind. But we are beginning to see impact investment take a toehold in places like South Africa and Nigeria and Ghana. The Global Steering Group for Impact Investment, which I chair, is active in 35 countries. We have another 15 countries wishing um, to attract us, uh, to expand uh, there. This is really a global
1: movement now. Can you tell us, Ronnie, what about if someone wants to get involved, say investors in particular, they want to get involved in impact investing and they don't know where to go because they see things, they hear things, their bankers tell them one thing or their private office says another. Any words of wisdom to kind of cut to the chase and how to educate oneself?
0: Uh, You won't be short of material to read, but you will be uh, well served, I think, to read the report of the G7 impact task force, which came out in December of last year. That would give you a clear sense of the trajectory uh, we're on.
1: I wonder if you have any thoughts about those world leaders, the governments and the business? Yes,
0: I just uh, posted a comment because somebody in Davos said impact investing is the way forward for solving our problems. And uh, my post basically uh, said um, you, can, you can see the opportunity today for the World Economic Forum and the people it attracts to Davos to push the issue of impact, and in particular, impact transparency. The major next step for us is what the SEC is trying to do, what the ISSB is trying to do in the rest of the world, what the EU is trying to do, which is to bring transparency to the impacts that companies and the investors create. You can't manage what you can't measure. And now we can measure. And so everyone, when they're looking at a a fund or a particular investment, should focus on asking for the impact measures that are being
1: applied. Mm Uh, in this time that I've been in this space, it's also good to see that there's a little bit more of a standardization that's going on in all these various measurement tools. Because every brand, at some point, it seemed like PPR or Caring was trying to do their measurement tools for the retail and luxury space. And then you had SASB and, and others. So I'm glad to see that that standardization is happening because it'll be helpful to everyone, I think, to simplify. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, but we also see convergence. You're absolutely right. But we saw
0: SASB and uh, the uh, Integrated uh, Reporting uh, Council and others coming together uh, to join ISSB. Uh, The International Foundation for Valuing Impact is in agreement um, with uh, the Value Balancing Alliance in Europe uh, and with GRI, the Impact Management Platform, as observers. So the convergence is occurring, and it's a bit, Toby, like the introduction of gap accounting in 1934. At that time, people thought it would be impossible to have a single accounting uh, standard for every company, irrespective of their size and sector. Yep. And today, we know that we can't do without it. Yeah, you know, We know that we can't do without it. today. 40 trillion of BSG wants impact, but doesn't have any visibility on the impact being created.
1: It bodes really well, Ronnie, to have this sort of lingua franca, if you will, that's coming at this perfect moment in time. I'm mindful of the time and your battery might be low on your phone. I want to ask you one last question, which is any words of wisdom, pearls of advice for young people who are starting out in their careers and want purpose.
0: I think if you want to be an entrepreneur and you're a young person, start young, think big, stick with it, and put impact at the center of your business model. The more impact you deliver, the more profit you make. That's the formula for successful entrepreneurship in the future.
1: And I would say it also is a secret to having a healthy, happy, fulfilling life. So Sir Ronald Cohen, Ronnie, thank you for joining us on The Caring Economy today. Pleasure, Toby. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T. Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing the caring economy with your friends and colleagues.